0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I want open to Matthew 28. We're going to look there today. When I was in college, I had an upperclassman give me some great advice. He said, at the beginning of each semester, write down in order when all the major assignments and major papers were going to be due. And then begin by tackling the first assignment on that list. When you finish that, take a day off to rest or do whatever you want to do, and then The next day, begin on the next item. And it worked out great for me. It helped me to stay organized. And the bonus was, at the end of the semester, when everyone else was staying up late, working on their assignments and struggling to get them done, I could relax. I could go to sleep. And those assignments were tough, the major papers and and reports. But really what was hard for me was the daily homework. I mean, checking the syllabus every day to see what did I need to read, what did I need to do when I already had this list of assignments and papers that I was working on. It was that daily homework that I had trouble with. But when I look back on it, it was also the daily homework that would really helped me understand what I was being taught. A lot more than the major assignments. See, whether you realize it or not, before Jesus left earth, he gave the church corporately and each of us as believers individual daily homework. And our daily homework is wrapped up in this small two-letter word that packs a powerful punch. Go. The daily homework of every Christian, of every church, is this. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That little word go is a very powerful word. Two-thirds of the word God, one-third of the word gospel, and one-half of the word good. It's a little word with a big meaning. You know, most of us don't have any problem going somewhere on a daily basis, right? Whether it's work or or school or shopping or running errands or buying groceries or, or whatever it may be. But Jesus said our daily homework is to go and make disciples. And if I'm being honest, I think the problem is a lot of us as Christians aren't doing our daily homework. A while back, Christianity Today magazine had a survey among its readers. It said 89% agree that faith in Jesus is the only way to salvation. 87% agreed that every Christian is responsible for evangelism. 68% agreed or strongly agreed the most important task for Christians is to lead non-Christians to faith in Christ. And only 52% said I have been more active in telling others about Christ in this last year than ever before. You see, when we as the church, when we as believers don't go as Jesus commanded us to go, and we don't do what he commands us to do, we're not doing our homework. You know, in 1929, the Soviet government came up with a plan they thought would completely wipe out the church. You know what they did? They passed a law not to close church buildings, not even to prohibit church services on Sunday. They made it a crime to go into the neighborhoods. And reach out to people in other words the only law the Soviet Union passed was you can meet but you cannot go unfortunately what they did by decree in 1929 we're doing today by default but if we do not on a daily basis leave this church on Sunday and go And do all that we can to begin to move people into God's church, into God's family, into a relationship with Jesus, then all of this is for nothing. Right? The Master, Jesus, gave us, his students, three wonderful reasons why we should not hesitate to go, to carry out our daily mission, to accomplish our daily homework. And it starts here God gives us his power to enable us to go. right, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Before Jesus ever asked us to do anything for him, he did the one thing he knew he needed to do for us. He gave us the power and the authority to carry out verses 19. You know, I wouldn't even attempt to try and go. If it were not for the assurance of verse 18. See, I have some great news for all of us who think that you're not adequate for the task. This homework is just too difficult to accomplish. You not only have the ability to do this homework, you have the authority to do it. And that is important. You know, even though I have the ability to go out onto State Road 10 here and and direct traffic and stop cars and move around, I don't have the authority to do it. But on the other hand, along with authority comes ability. Because anything that Jesus Christ gives you the authority to do, he gives you the ability to do. And if you don't understand what a big deal is to the disciples, realize that what Jesus was asking them to do appeared to be mission impossible. I mean, it was geographically impossible. Right? The whole world hadn't even been discovered yet. Many people believed the world was flat. No one knew there were people that lived all over the world that they hadn't seen. It was physically impossible. There were no ships, no planes, no TV, no radio. To ask this simple band of disciples to go into the whole world seemed physically impossible. It was numerically impossible. I mean, think about it. He was talking to at most 500 people. How in the world could they go to the entire world? It was financially impossible. I mean, the wealth of the entire church combined was less than the equivalent of 10,000 American dollars. A tithe of that is 1,000 dollars. How could anybody reach the world on that small of a budget? It was legally impossible. It was against the law to speak, preach or teach in the name of Jesus. And followers of Jesus, if they took this seriously, knew they would be persecuted imprisoned and possibly killed and it was socially impossible Christians were regarded as the discards the rejects of society no one was listening to them however what is impossible with men is possible with God because with this commission comes God's commitment to help us carry it out I mean these are the orders from our commander-in-chief it's not a recommendation that we can accept or reject. It's not a motion that requires a second. It's not up for a majority vote. It's not to be debated, discussed, or amended. This is a command from the King of the Universe. And he says, When I ask you to go and carry out this daily homework, I'm asking you to go. Not in your own authority, but in the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, no government has authority to rule unless the king of kings gives it. No doctor has authority to heal unless the great physician gives it. No diplomat has authority to make peace unless the prince of peace gives it. When you go, remember, you have all authority. He even says, in heaven and on earth. That means he has authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. Over every demon and angel and even the devil himself. See, we don't have to do this homework with fear and trembling. We can go out knowing. We can carry on this commission boldly because we have his power that enables us. God also gives us his plan to encourage us to go. Right? Verse 19, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gets very specific in his assignment, very distinct in exactly what our homework is. First, make disciples. See, notice the order that Jesus gives it here, because not only is it specific, it's instructive. He says we are to make disciples, and baptize them, and then teach them. It's the order we try and follow here in the church. I mean, he did not say baptize them, teach them, and then disciple them. He didn't say teach them, baptize them, and disciple them. He said make disciples, baptize, and teach. And why is that order important? Well, because people are converted to Christianity. And now we learn something that goes to the very heart of who we are as a church and as Christians. And that is every disciple is to be a disciple maker. In fact, every person on earth is one of two things you're either a disciple or a disciple maker. You know, this verse, it's known as the Great Commission. And that was intended for the entire church. Not not just the minister, not just missionaries or seminary graduates or evangelists. It was given to each and every one of us. We make disciples of all nations. Jews, Gentiles, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, humanists, socialists, communists, Democrats, Republicans, everyone. And there's one reason for this. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name given under heaven among men except Jesus, whereby we must be saved. See, in order to make disciples of all nations, we have to go into all nations. And in order to go into, we must first get out of. (laughs) We can't complete this daily homework until we get out of the church and go into this world. God never intended the church to be a country club for Christians only. In fact, the church is the only voluntary association in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And then we have to mark disciples. After we make disciples, we mark them. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, that's the first step a disciple takes when he makes up his mind that he or she is going to live their life for Jesus Christ. After the Great Commission was given, every person who became a disciple and a follower of Jesus in the New Testament was baptized. We see it over and over. Acts 2.41 So then those who received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Acts 9.18, and immediately they fell from their eyes, something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Acts 16, after he brought them out, he said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. See, these verses should surprise you. None of them should. Because that was the order Jesus gave. And then we are to mature disciples. After we baptize them, after we mark them, we mature them, we teach them to observe all that I've commanded. See, as we go, we are in our own way sharing Christ. Leading people to become followers of Christ. Baptizing them into a local fellowship of believers called the church and taking them and teaching them so that we can mature them in order that they might become disciple makers. In other words, we get people to believe in Jesus that's making disciples. We are going to get people to belong to Jesus and His church through baptism. And we are going to get people to be like Jesus, maturing them by teaching them to obey His commands. And when this happens, when we follow this plan, we help others become disciples. So they in turn are baptized and make disciples. And that is the way God grows his church. He doesn't want to do it through the addition of people who have already been saved, but through the multiplication of those who have not been saved. A third promise. God gives us his presence to empower us to go. Verse 20 teaching them to obey, uh, observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, the Great Commission is a joint effort. God is not asking us to do it for Him. He's asking us to do this with Him. There was a minister dressed in an old pair of blue jeans, boarded a plane to come home from a speaking engagement. And he got in the last unoccupied seat, next to a well-dressed businessman with the Wall Street Journal tucked under his arm. And the man was a talker, so to be polite, the pastor asked him what he did for a living. Here's what he said. He said, I'm in the figure salon business. We change a woman's self-concept by changing her body. It's a profound, powerful thing. And the pastor said, are you a national organization? He said, oh yes, in fact, we are the fastest growing company of our kind in the nation. I think it's great to be a part of an organization like that, don't you? And the pastor nodded and he thought, he's so proud of his work and his company. Why can't Christians be proud like that? Why are we so often apologetic about Jesus in the church? And then the man looked at the pastor and he asked, well, what do you do? And the pastor said, you know, it's interesting because we have similar business interests. You're in the body changing business and I'm in the personality changing business. The man said, really, how do you do that? He said, we we apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. The pastor could tell by what he said, this man was blown away. The man said, you know, I've heard about that. Do you have an office in the city? The pastor said, oh, we have many offices. We have at least one office in every state of the Union, including Alaska and Hawaii. And the man got a puzzled look on his face. And the pastor said, as a matter of fact, we have gone international. Management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of the business era. The man said, well, how do you make this work? He said, well, it's a family business. The father and the son, they run everything. The man said, wow, it must take a lot of capital. And the pastor said, you mean money? It does. As a matter of fact, I don't know what the total budget is, but we never worry. Those of us in the organization have a saying about the boss. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The man said, oh, he's a rancher? The pastor said, no, it's just a saying we use to indicate how rich he is. And the man sat back in the seat and he thought, what about the employees? The pastor said, oh, the employees are something to see. They have a spirit that pervades the entire organization. It works like this. The father and the son love each other so much, their love filters down through the organization so that we all find ourselves loving one another. He said, I know it sounds old-fashioned in a world like ours, but I've got people in this organization who love me so much, they would die for me. And all of us would be willing to die for our boss. And I said, there's one thing that bothers me. I read all the major journals, and if your business is all you say it is, why haven't I heard about it? The pastor said, that's a good question. Our company has a 2,000-year-old tradition, and a manual at least 3,000 years old. The man looked at him, and said, you do? He said, what is the name of your business? Who is your boss? The pastor, with a smile on his face, said, my business is the church, and my boss is Jesus. Would you like to sign up? See, I hope that we can all get as excited about our church and about Jesus and about what God has done and is doing as that pastor. See, that's our homework assignment. Let's get to work. Let me just ask, as we close this morning, do you need to sign up? Do you need to become a part of this great mission of the church because it all begins by surrendering your life to Him? If that's what you desire, I invite you to come up after service and talk to me. Stop by the church this week and visit with me. Let's talk more about how we can work together to accomplish Christ's great work. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so humbled to be a part of your plan to save this world. You've sent your Son to teach us and to die for us. And Lord, now it's our job to continue His work, to share the good news to everyone in this world. So Lord, I pray You fill us with Your Spirit. Give us the words to say and the courage to go so that others can come to know You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.